0: Welcome to Oikos. Everybody excited today? Because it is happy Reformation Day, right? So it's important that we see that without Martin Luther and his risk to his own well-being and because he was compelled that what was happening in the church was actually separating people from God. That he would step out and say, no more, because here I stand on God's word alone. That we get to be here today. That we get to read the Bible today. That this morning we get to go into a sermon series called Peter, and we get to go into the Bible of the book called 1 Peter which is by far one of my most favorite books. In fact, if I wouldn't get in trouble with you all, I would just sit here and i just read 1 Peter from beginning to the end because I love every verse that's in there. And so as I put the message together today, I thought, well, I'm going to have a couple large sections, so we're going to have a couple large sections. But then I'm going to hit just a few key things I love about First Peter, and as I was hitting those few, just a few key things, I'm like, "Oh, but that's a really key thing. That's a really key thing." So I thought, Reformation Day, you guys don't care if we're here for a few hours, <laughs> right? It's Reformation Day, right? Yeah. But I, I decided, it was all right," because it's going to be cold, so we're going to just we're going to move through First Peter really fast. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up. First Peter, just give you a little bit of background. It's not even hardly disputed, at least by those that I would say are valid theologians. It was written by Peter. Now, that would seem normal, right? Because it's called 1 Peter. But Peter, there's an awesome transformation that you see from the Gospels to then what he writes here. There's maturity of the way he sees life now compared to what he saw or how he saw it when he engaged with Jesus for the first few years. And that's what I love about First Peter is the words that he gives to people who were losing hope. He wrote it to people who were in what we call modern-day Turkey. They were not all new Christians. Some of them were Jews who had were through the diaspora, were sent out. So when they were sent from Jerusalem all over the world, the Jews as they kind of were expelled, they ended up in these places and he's writing to some of those, but he's also writing to those people who lived in Turkey before, anyone who knew Yahweh came and they're now part of the church. But as they engaged in the church, they were leaving things behind. And some of them, those that they left behind were people that were not followers of Jesus. And those friends, friends, were persecuting them. It's a great letter. So let's start it out. Chapter 1, verse 1. This letter is from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm writing to God's chosen people. We we're living as foreigners in the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bith- Bithynia. So living as foreigners, boy, that's in the news lately, right? In fact, we're a country that's kind of built on foreigners. We're a country that wouldn't exist as we do today if there were no foreigners. Some of us know that we have direct lineage to people who've come. My, I know that my grandfather, it's not that far away, was a foreigner. He came from Prussia which no longer exists. But they came because they were concerned that the government at the time was going to say you can't worship Jesus the way you do. And so they hid their Bible, which we still have, with a list of all their family, and they came across, and they ended up as homesteaders in South Dakota. And we still have that land that they first homesteaded. Now, I don't know if I would be able to find it. I have been there. But we'd be driving around a little bit. So if any of you have ever driven with me when I'm not quite sure where I'm going, my father-in-law is here with us today, and so he's done that. Sometimes we just kind of go on a journey. And that's kind of what it'd be like. But when you're a foreigner, you oftentimes are ostracized. I mean, think of all the different groups that came because of something that happened in their life. When I think of those who came from Ireland and how they were pushed as Irish and seen as dirty and insignificant. When I think of those who came from Germany and were slated as traitors, even though they were here, simply because something else was going on in the world called World War II and World War I. When I think of our neighbors to the south, who sometimes we view today as insignificant or unwanted in the country. Foreigners. You can be ostracized. Not only can you be ostracized, but many times you're not trusted. Not only are you not trusted, but sometimes you're the butt of jokes. I mean, you guys all know them, Right? It seems like we go after one nationality after another, which I always think is kind of humorous because we're all a bunch of mutts, right? I mean, when I I did a DNA testing, because I like kind of going through genealogy, Dolores and I, we should sit down sometime because she enjoys that as well. And I looked, and actually they got a great story. Did you know that Ken is German? Now, you wouldn't expect that, right? But he is, like, big-time German. He might be more German than me. You don't, you, see, you don't believe this, but this is true. And when I went through that, I found out that I even have some Middle Eastern in me. Well, how did that happen, Right? I mean, most people wouldn't say, oh, yeah, he's Middle Eastern. He's from Saudi. (laughs) Sometimes you're the butt of jokes. I think being a foreigner is hard. And I love how Peter speaks to the hearts and those hurts that are in the hearts of those he's writing the letter to. He knows that this transition is hard, It's not easy that they may feel alone, separated, unsupported, left to their own means, and that they may not seem like they're succeeding in the life that they have right now. And I think even if you didn't see yourself as a foreigner, you can identify with this feeling. The first time you went to a new school. I mean, I think about stepping into my high school and I was, we were deemed the country kids. That sounds lovely, right? There were only about 10 of us that came into a huge class of 40 but we were deemed the odd ones. Now, if we were smart, we would have banded together. We would have been fourth of the class, but we weren't. We were the ones that didn't go to class with all the other ones. For some of us, I know I had a nervous feeling, and I know my wife had a nervous feeling for our daughter when she stepped into Hog Middle School. And really, it was a little PT. um... P.S.P.T.S.D.? PTSD. Thank you. PTSD. Because she had a horrible experience moving from Chicago to St. Charles and starting a new middle school. Being the one that was ostracized. The one that wasn't part of the group. And we thought, oh, we hope that Breezy doesn't have to go through that. Because it's a horrible feeling to be named not one of the group. I think of those who start a new job, if you can think back, if you've been in the same job for a long time, maybe harder, but if you just started a new job, that first day you walk in the office and you're the newbie. And sometimes it's a positive experience and many times it's not at all. Or maybe you move to a new city or a new neighborhood and a place where you used to know everyone, now you're in a place where you know no one. Or people do things differently, or you don't even know how to go and get groceries because you don't know where the grocery store is. Or you end up in a, a neighborhood that you don't look like everybody else. And maybe you have a little bit of fear that everyone is against you, even if they are not. Or maybe you find out that your spouse has been diagnosed with a disease that's going to take them. And you're scared about that transition. It's a new thing. It's a new life. Or maybe you lost your mom or your dad. And for the first time, you're walking this earth without a mom or a dad. Or maybe you lost your child. And for the first time, you don't get to be the mom because your child is gone. All of us start new things, and I think when we tap into that something new feeling, we know that when we start something new, we're always leaving something behind. It can be a glorious day. Yes, Yesterday we had the Gumtoe wedding, or I should say McFarland wedding. And even though it was a great day, I know two parents that now the relationship with their daughter is different because there's someone that has made a promise to her that has changed everything. It's a new day. It might be great, but there's going to be some days that it's not so great. Just ask my. Well, don't ask them after. Don't. They put up with me, and it's good. That's why I love First Peter. He speaks to the heart of us. And his message to people over 2,000 years ago can still speak to our hearts. It can still speak to us why God has a purpose for us and why he is unstopping in his pursuit to make sure that we know that we are not alone. Especially in this city where I think Often we find ourselves in the midst of millions, but feeling very alone. Like isolated islands within this huge population where you don't know your neighbor. And maybe you don't even know if you want to. So Peter speaks, verses 3 through 9, all praise to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by His great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus from the dead. Now we live with great expectation. Remember, these words are being spoken to people who feel alone, afraid, full of fear. But we live with great expectation and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled beyond the reach of change and decay. Do you hear them speaking to the hearts of the people? And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. So be truly glad. There's a wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Through your faith, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. You love him even though you have never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him. And you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting Him will be the salvation of your souls. In trusting Him in faith, we receive a new identity. He says, by His great mercy, that we have been born again. God has said, in this moment that you believe, in this moment that you're baptized, I have placed upon you a mark that says you're my son, you're my daughter, in whom I am well pleased. Now we live with great expectation and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you pure and undefiled beyond the reach of change and decay. Things that we wait for often have trials that come before them. And as we wait in those trials, we wait by trusting. So he gives us this salvation that allows us to live forever. This is the end goal, right? That the, mo- the moment we start to believe, he says, you've got life. Your life won't end. It has begun. And because of me, you will always live you may experience that moment of death, but in that moment you'll also receive the fullness of life. If you trust. And that moment that Jesus comes again will be whole and complete. All the hurts, all the things that have kind of messed us up will be made right. This is what Peter's saying, we have a great expectation that maybe right now you can't see that everything is right but it will be where we feel empty he will make us feel whole those aren't just empty words but that's the promise of this inheritance that we we wait for in trust He says in verses 4 through 12 in chapter 4, in chapter 2, you are coming to Christ who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. And you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priests. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. As the scriptures say, I am placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem, chosen for great honor, and anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Yes, you who trust him recognize the honor God has given him, but for those who reject him, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. And he is the stone that makes people stumble, the rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they do not obey God's word. And so they meet the fate that was planned for them. But you are not like that. For you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you've received God's mercy. Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from the worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors then even if they accuse you of doing wrong they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world what a see this is why i love first peter once you received no mercy now you've been given mercy once you had no identity now you have an identity once you didn't have hope now you have hope Once you thought you had no place, you have a place with God. Once you thought you were alone, but God has always been there. What is God's purpose? God's purpose from the very beginning was to give us an identity an identity as His family. He made Adam and Eve. And he wanted them to be his family. He wanted them to multiply into a great, huge, big family. A family that would see him as a father that could walk in the garden along with them, And it wouldn't be scary or too much for us. But instead we'd welcome his presence in every step we make in life. But stuff happened, right? So as he brought this family together, he continued to speak into their life even when they turned from him and said, you know, we really don't want you as our father. He continued to pursue them. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people or God's family. And then as his family, he says, now display my glory. And what is his glory? This is really good for me as I kind of thought through. His glory is his incredible grace. I mean, think of that as Jesus approached people and they saw the glory of God coming near What they saw was a man who forgave their sins, who displayed great mercy and grace. The woman at the well, great mercy and grace. If you don't know the story of the woman at the well, her life was messed up. And he didn't necessarily make her life all cleaned up. He just said, believe in me, trust. And we don't know much more about her story, her moral character. I tend to believe that she got so busy displaying his glory, the mercy and grace she experienced, that she left behind all the things that she was doing with the several husbands that she had. The guy who was at the well waiting year after year after year to be healed, and all he had to do is just reach, but he couldn't. Jesus showed up with mercy and grace, and he was healed. How many times do we forget that our identity is that we are his family? And because we are his family, we have received his mercy. And because we've received his mercy and his grace, we display his glory. Once you receive no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. Even when the Adam and Eve fell, there's a section, I heard this earlier this week, that he appeared to them, and I never really thought about this, in the cool of the day. And yes, he said judgment, but he also gave grace by announcing that Jesus, and he didn't say the word Jesus, but he said what messed everything up will be smashed and everything will be restored. In the cool of the day, he walked with his people. As the people complained in the wilderness, so the story is, right, they get They're slaves in Egypt, they come out of Egypt, they're supposed to be given a promised land, but because they don't want to trust in God, which is our common behavior, he said, you're going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. During those 40 years, they didn't believe in him every day, but every day he believed in in them and provided for them food, water, shelter, every day, 40 years. Even when they complained, he said, I want to gather you as my family. Right? When you have complainers in your family, sometimes it's hard to want to gather them, right? Like you know you should invite them, but you're kind of like, no. God says yes. God goes, all you complainers... Who's a complainer? Everybody raise, your hand. raise your hand, you complainers. Because you're going to say, I am a complainer and God loves me. Right? I am a complainer and God loves me. He's invited me into his family. All of us. Because his purpose is to gather a family. It's been from the very beginning. No matter what that family would do, he would continue unrelenting to go after them and say, come back, family. Come, be a part of my family. Come, be a part of my family. When we killed Jesus, when we crucified him on the cross, his words were, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. Even in the worst moment God was gathering his family. Even in the moment that we were killing his own son, he said, you're precious to me. Your identity is my family, and I will not relent from that. God, mercy, his mercy continues to flow. We can't stop it. We can try to, we can try not to represent, but even when we don't represent, his mercy continues to flow. Sometimes we think we're too important. Have you ever been there? That God's mercy will only be displayed if I show it? But remember, his purpose is to gather family, so guess what? This is what Peter says. If you don't want to be a part of the family, you won't represent the family. But the invitation is to be a part of the family. God wants you, but if you don't want to be in the family, then you won't be in the family. And what will stumble, what you'll stumble over, is Jesus himself. Yeah, we don't like to hear that, do we? No, we don't. Because we want to always think of Jesus as this guy that He's so loving and brings mercy. He does. But guess what? When you get too much mercy and you don't want it, you walk away from it. You stumble over it because you forget that your identity, your identity is a child of God. And He is a good Father. But so often we want to reject our good Father. Father. But on the days that you know, I'm called into God's family. He has given us a purpose. The first one is just to trust Him. Just trust Him, right? Yep, that's right. When I tell my kids, trust me, we have four usually I have one-fourth that do. (laughs) I don't think I've been that bad of a father, but one-fourth that do. I think when we reflect in our life and we go, God asked me to trust him, how often do we say, "Uh, I'll trust you in this, but this is beyond you. Or maybe I'll trust you unless it looks a little shaky. Like if it doesn't start going the way I thought it was supposed to, then I'm done trusting. I'm going to take over and do it my way. But God says, trust me. Trust me because I'm your father. And guess what? I'm for you. I'm not a bad father. I'm not a negligent father. I'm a really good father. So what I do for you is really for you. I'm not against you. First Peter chapter five, he says, "In His kindness, God called you to share." I mean, sometimes we read these words and I think we just pass by, but He owns everything, but he says, "I want to share with you. with you who are complainers. You who are people who will not trust me, I want to share with you. Because you're my children. And though you won't love me, my responsibility is to love you. His power does not rest in our response. His power is there regardless of how we respond. But he invites us to sit down with him In his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So after you have suffered a little while, he will restore, support, and strengthen you. I hope you can grab onto those words. Because there are moments when we really feel like we're suffering. And sometimes they're real and sometimes they're not. Right? I mean, sometimes we make up our own suffering and we realize we're just making it up. And sometimes it's just really real and your heart is broken. Well, God says he'll restore you. He'll support you. And he'll strengthen you. And he will place you on a firm foundation. All power to him forever. Amen. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy the de- the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering you are. We're in this together. Because our identity is his family. As he pursues to gather us together, no matter what we face, he says, I will restore you. And until that day, know your family's with you. They may actually be suffering the same thing you're suffering. So perhaps you can support one another as well. Jesus trusted God even while he died on the cross. In his worst Deepest, dark moment, Jesus trusted. He said, Father, into your hands. Perhaps we can repeat those words when we're suffering. Father, into your hands. Right? When you put something in someone else's hands, it's the TV remote, right? You have to trust them. Last night, there was no way my father-in-law was going to get the remote. Because the Huskers were playing. I didn't trust him. But God's saying, into your hands. If I say, into your hands, Lord, in the moment that I find out my spouse is dying, I can say, into your hands. I'll trust you. Because in the moment that Jesus was despairing, he said, I trust you, Father. Because you'll make this good. When I lose my job, I can say to your hands, Lord, because I trust you and I believe that you are actually for me and that you are more than just for me. You are for your family. So if my suffering will bring about glory for your family, I can trust you. If my suffering can bring someone else into your family, I'll trust you. Our Father's fighting for us, not against us. The second purpose that I found as I read through 1 Peter is that we are called to suffer with Jesus. This is the part that you are going to try to tune out on, but this is true. So just tune back in. And it's too cold to fall asleep. So suffer with Jesus. We don't want to hear this because we think that Our life with Jesus is supposed to be just all roses and warm churches. (laughs) But it's not. And we think that the church, we hear this, that the church is hypocrites, right? We are all hypocrites in here. And anyone who walks in and thinks that this is just going to be a joy ride, they're on something. because when you work with people when you're in a family it's not always a joy ride cuz people can be ugly right and they can get crabby and they can get tired and they can lose patience and they sometimes don't represent Jesus very well but when they're called into the family we're called to suffer Until Jesus transforms them. Sometimes we're called to suffer so that someone else won't have to suffer. We don't always like to hear that, right? I like to call that I would rather take the arrow because perhaps my faith is a little bit stronger than allow someone else to take the arrow whose faith is shaky. That's suffering says in chapter 4, so then since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourselves with the same attitude he had and be ready to suffer too. Be ready to suffer. For if you have suffered physically for Christ, you have finished with sin. You won't spend the rest of your lives chasing your own desires, but you'll be anxious to do the will of God. Boy, I love those words, anxious to do the will of God the image I get is getting out of the bed and going, God, I'm ready. I'm ready for whatever you got. I get the image of a person in a country where they don't get to freely worship Jesus and they get out of bed and they say, God, I'm ready. I'm ready for whatever stone is thrown. I'm ready for whatever prison I'm put in. I'm ready. I get an image of this country, of us getting out of the bed and saying, God, I'm ready to share my faith in my office place where I think I can't. God, I'm ready to share my faith with my family members that I'm too scared that I will lose their relationship if I do. God, I'm ready to say your words even if they'll be rejected. God, I'm ready to stand for you even when others are against you. God, I'm ready. I'm more excited about being with you than the suffering it may have. God, I'm ready to lose my house if it means one person is saved for you. If one more person gets to be in the family. Are you ready? (laughs) It's all right. No one wants to suffer for, you know. No one wants to suffer. But guess what? The Word says you're going to suffer. And it's all about our posture in that suffering. We can either suffer and feel that we are alone or we can suffer and we can say we are with a family and we're not alone. And this is not the end because He will restore and strengthen us because I trust Him. I trust Him in the suffering that this is only a small part of what He's got planned. It will only become better. In suffering, you reconfirm your identity with him. Because when you suffer, you're suffering like Jesus. And that means you're a little bit more like the one who saved you. The last, the last thing. Love others sincerely. Jesus loved, so we are called to love just like Jesus. He loved when people didn't like him. He loved when it wasn't easy, and because we have an identity that was given as part of God's family, we're called to love. That means when aliens or foreigners are in our midst, we're called to love. When someone who's different from us, who dresses different, looks different, I heard a story from a pastor this week. It won't be that long, I know. But it was a great story because I... I thought for a moment, wow, is that God's mercy stepping into a situation that none of us have an answer to. But he had four individuals in his church. The first individual, he played the organ. It was a different church than us. He played the organ. Wonderful player. Like, awesome. If our organ worked, I would invite him. I didn't actually hear him, but I trusted this guy. He said he was really good. But he was burdened, this organist, that all his life he felt and believed that he was gay. And he kept it a secret. And he didn't act on it or maybe he did i'm not i don't know his whole story but he finally decided to unburden himself and confess it which is what we're told to do and elders in the church wanted him out so what do you do they said he can't play the organ anymore he can't do this cuz he's different There's another person in this church. Sounds like an awesome church, right? Cool. Which I think is, is what we should be, is we need to be confronted with things we don't always have the answer to. This guy, elder in the church for a long time, he's like 76 at this point. And the pastor is speaking about transgender that day. Well, after the message, which pastors often get is that you'll have someone come up and go, you know, I don't think this is right or, or that was really good or great message, which means they didn't listen to it. And this guy pulled him aside and said, I want to go, uh, can I speak to you in your office? Which for a pastor, you're like, oh, Shoot. And so he comes and says, You know, that was me. That's me. I've always felt that I was a woman. Now, he was married, had a couple kids. But his mom, I guess, during her pregnancy, for some odd reason back in the day, had to take some hormone therapy. And they didn't realize the effect it'd have on the child. And so, though he feels like a woman, he's, he's not going to say, I believe that when I'm taken to heaven, God will make this right. Wow. Wow. What a faithful, honest response. We don't like to hear this, right? We want the 76-year-old man he's has a grandfather to not say that he feels like a woman. That doesn't sound normal. But boy, does it sound faithful to say, I believe that one day God will make this right. I hid it all my life, but one day God will make this right. There's another person in this church whose name used to be, and I'll just say Sam, and now it's still Sam. But the Sam who used to be a girl is now changing to be a boy. And they're going through the whole therapy. And instantly we want to say, no, 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 that is wrong, that is wrong, that is wrong. But from the moment this kid was born, she always identified as a boy. And he now believes that this is a result of the fall of sin. Somewhere in the body, it didn't work right. Just like sometimes we don't have a perfect birth. But Sam loves Jesus, is living life with Jesus. But what do you say as a church? Not easy questions, right? It's easier to take a stance on a position when you X out people. It's easier to say, I don't agree with this when I don't have to look Bill I die. It's easier to say, I'm going to kick Lewis out of the church if I don't have to stand in front of Lewis and listen to what the Lord is doing in him. In the midst of his hurt. But God has called us to love each other sincerely. And I think this is a hard thing for us. What does it mean to do that sincerely? It says in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 9 Most important of all, continue to show deep love, deep love for each other. For love covers a multitude of sins. Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. The end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. I don't have the answers for what happens when you have a person that is obviously stuck in a situation that they don't want to be in either. Or they made choices, and there's consequences, and they're in those consequences, and... They don't want to be in those consequences, but they are. Or their body is doing something that they don't understand. But I know there is a word that says we are to do our best to love and invite them into God's grace. Because it's not that our love covers their multitude of sins. It's his love. It's Jesus stepping into the messed up life of each of us and saying, come be a part of my family. It's Jesus stepping up to the person who is normally rejected and saying, you're worth it. And whatever isn't right, I'm making right. Right now. The moment you trust me, the moment you believe in me, I'm making it right. We won't get to see the rightness of everything. We won't get to see some people who are struggling with homosexuality. They may always struggle. But that doesn't mean that Jesus doesn't love them. Just the same as those who struggle with greed and will maybe struggle until Christ comes again. That finance and money seems to drive everything they do. Maybe they're not even aware of it. But they believe in Jesus. And guess what? I, as your pastor, this is what I can assure you and guarantee you. is someone who believes in Jesus and struggles with greed, on the day Jesus comes, that will be made right. And they're not going to be full of shame about it. They're going to maybe go, well, thank God you saved me. Because that was really stupid that I lived that way. And there are going to be people that say, I don't know how to get out of this. But when Jesus comes again, they're going to breathe for the first time. Really breathe. You know how you can't catch your breath because you're caught in something that you don't know what to do? The picture he gives us is the moment he comes we get to breathe because all that's going to be released. So maybe we could all say today we're foreigners and this life is hard. And people that we are called to speak God's truth to, it's hard. And it's not always welcomed. And we have deceived ourselves many times that we've got everything figured out and it's just everybody else that doesn't. Well, God is speaking very clearly today. His purpose is to gather a family. And guess what? If you believe, you're a part of the family. And our purpose as his family is to keep gathering his family. And we do that through loving, deeply loving. Loving each other, right? So if someone's kind of stinky, but they're part of the family, they got a B.O. problem, instead of sitting on the opposite side, Try sitting next to them, not complaining or giving them deodorant or doing something like that or spraying some essential oil. You got to just let it be. You love them deeply. If someone has an ill manner about them, they're crabby, and but they're here. Try sitting next to them and loving them. And then guess what? There's suffering, right? So the next time you want to avoid suffering, I'm going to encourage you to take a step into it and allow God's grace to be shown. Because you can love others, you can suffer for Jesus because you trust him. Because you can trust him. Because he's for you. He's not against you. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've given us this day. A day of reformation, a day when Martin Luther could have easily not trusted you. He could have trusted those who had authority over him instead. But he chose to trust you, to trust your word and what it said, not what people thought about it. Lord, he could have easily said, I'm not going to suffer for you I will not put my life in danger. But instead, he trusted you, and he did suffer. And Lord, it could have been easy for him to say, we're not going to love those who have persecuted me. But instead, he deliberately tried to restore the church in deeply loving those. And yeah, he had a lot of failures. Sometimes he didn't love people. Sometimes he didn't trust you. And in those areas, we're able to step into the life of Martin Luther and say thank you for showing us that you were a real person, that you were a person who knew you were a part of God's family. You trusted your father, you deeply loved others, and you did suffer. You showed us a way that we can live to. Or for all of us here at Oikos, for those of us who have suffered. I pray that you would speak grace into us. And though we cannot breathe fully in your grace at this point, until you come again, allow us to at least take a small breath of that sweet grace that you give to us, knowing that we have a life that's already started and will not end, simply because we have an identity as your family. Lord, ready us. Help us to be excited that this isn't a life that we can just throw away. This is a life that you've been given by your precious blood that you shed on the cross. Because of that, we can be excited and ready to share it. To extend the family. To love those who have not experienced love to have some weird people come in and start to identify that maybe we're weird and yet you love us. Lord, help us to be different, to not worry about the approval of others because we know we have yours. In your name we pray, amen.